Welcome to eBible Fellowship's Sunday Bible Study. For broadcast times in your area of these studies, visit our website at www.ebiblefellowship.com. And now it's time to begin our Sunday study with your speaker, Chris McCann. Good afternoon and welcome to eBible Fellowship's Sunday Afternoon Bible Study. Today we'll be studying Jeremiah chapter 50 and this will be study number 6. And we're going to begin by reading Jeremiah 50, verses 11 and 12. Because ye were glad, because ye rejoiced, O ye destroyers of mine heritage, because ye are grown fat as the heifer at grass and bellow as bulls, your mother shall be sore confounded, she that bear you shall be ashamed. Behold, the hindermost of the nations shall be a wilderness, a dry land, and a desert. And in Jeremiah 50, God is um, condemning, judging Babylon because Babylon has destroyed his people. And yes, it's true that God commissioned Babylon and uh, personally chose Nebuchadnezzar and called him his servant, my servant Nebuchadnezzar to accomplish the task of destroying Judah. And and God did that because Judah was unfaithful to him and their relationship with him as representatives of the kingdom of heaven. Yet, uh, even though God um, desired and uh, wanted Babylon to uh, bring about this judgment upon his people Judah, it does not mean that Babylon is uh, not guilty of also committing sin. And let, let's uh, look at it spiritually. When God loosed Satan, Satan just did that which comes natural to him by uh, going after the churches and congregations, by assaulting them and destroying them. God just simply removed his hand of restraint from Satan, and and then Satan did evil. And uh, yet it accomplished God's purpose at the time of the end, as this was the means that God was judging the churches and congregations, and, and so forth. So it accomplishes God's purpose, but still Satan and, and his emissaries are guilty of the sin of destroying the church. And likewise, the Babylonians were guilty in daring to come against the people of God. Remember King David and how hesitant he was to uh, even cut a piece of, of Saul's skirt. Uh, he, he dared not lift his hand against God's anointed even when that uh, anointed individual, King Saul, uh, was an unfaithful man and uh, was doing wrong in pursuing him, yet he had still been selected in the past by God to be ruler of the people Israel. Now, likewise, those in the churches and congregations, they once held the um, high and, and honorable position of being God's representatives to the inhabitants of the earth and that 
that position, uh, even though they have rebelled against God and, and, and they have despised the word of God and, and so forth, yet that, uh, position would, would cause anyone or should cause anyone to stop from daring to come against them. And yet, uh, Satan did, his emissaries did, they, they also rejoiced in this, and that's what God is saying in Jeremiah 50 verse 11. Not, that not only did God utilize them and they perform that task, but they did so, um, gleefully. They, they thoroughly enjoyed it because you were glad, because ye rejoiced, O ye destroyers of mine heritage. That is, God, in a previous verse, if you remember verse 10, in Chaldea shall be a spoil, and all that spoil her shall be satisfied, saith Jehovah. Chaldea will be a spoil because ye were glad and, and rejoiced in, in the destruction of the people of God, of the place where the word of God was found, the churches and congregations, and and likewise historically, the Babylonians were glad at the destruction of Judah, and 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 that is um, really uh, a horrible thing. You know, God warns in the Bible about not being glad at calamities, and and also it's an evil thing. When God, for his own purposes, is bringing a judgment, whether it be on the church or whether it be on the Lord Jesus Christ. When, when Christ entered into the world, we, uh, we had him experiencing the suffering and, uh, punishment as he demonstrated what he had done from the foundation of the world. And his enemies were glad. We read about this. In a Messianic Psalm, Psalm 35, it says in verse 19, Let not them that are mine enemies wrongfully rejoice over me, neither let them wink with the eye that hate me without a cause. For they speak not peace, but they devise deceitful matters against them that are quiet in the land. Yea, they opened their mouth wide against me and said, Aha, aha, our eye has seen it. And we we can read the gospel accounts and see how certainly once the Lord Jesus was uh, taken prisoner and then um, br- turned over into the hands of the Romans that the enemies were celebrating. They had finally silenced him. The, the one who was going around Judea and stirring up the people and they, they had hated him and now, uh, they rejoiced over his trial and, and over his crucifixion. And, and, uh, God says they wrongfully rejoiced over him. They, they should not have done that. Now we read in Obadiah, uh, that that little book that comes right before Jonah in Obadiah, God writes about Edom or Esau. 
And we read in Obadiah 10, it's only a one-chapter book, so in verse 10, For thy violence against thy brother Jacob, shame shall cover thee, and thou shalt be cut off forever. In the day that thou stoodest on the other side, in the day that strangers carried away captive his forces, and foreigners entered into his gates, and cast lots upon Jerusalem, even thou wast as one of them. But thou shouldest not have looked on the day of thy brother in the day that he became a stranger, neither shouldest thou have rejoiced over the children of Judah in the day of their destruction, neither shouldest thou have spoken proudly in the day of distress. Thou shouldest not have entered into the gate of my people in the day of their calamity, Yea, thou shouldest not have looked on their affliction in the day of their calamity, nor have laid hands on their substance in the day of their calamity. Neither shouldest thou have stood in the crossway to cut off those of his that did escape. Neither shouldest thou have delivered up those of his that did remain in the day of distress. For the day of Jehovah is near upon all the heathen as thou hast done it shall be done unto thee. Thy reward shall return upon thine own head. And uh, just as God says of Babylon, reward her as she has rewarded thee. And notice that Esau, Edom, was glad at the destruction of Judah. And, um, of course, uh, going back in history, uh, Jacob and Esau were twin brothers, and they were born of the same mother. So God here is faulting Esau for being glad at the destruction of his brother in the day of his calamity. And we can understand this spiritually to uh, tie in with those in the churches and congregations that are unsaved, as Esau was never saved. Jacob have I loved, but Esau have I hated, God says. And in the day of um, calamity, the day of judgment, which began upon the house of God when, when God ended the church age at the time of the great tribulation, and for 23 years the, the corporate church experienced calamity. It was the day of wrath upon them, the time of God's wrath. He was uh, judging them. He loosed Satan to accomplish that purpose. The Holy Spirit came out of the church. It was a grievous, awful, ugly time. The two witnesses, which represent the witness of the Word of God, the Bible, as the two witnesses really are a type and a figure of Moses and Elijah. Moses, the law, Elijah, the prophet. And the law and the prophets is a figure of speech to represent the word of God. And the two witnesses witness within the congregations for almost 2,000 years, for 1,955 years. And then we read that uh, the beast was loosed and came up. He ascended out of the bottomless pit. And he killed the two witnesses because God led him. And it just means God's Spirit left the church, 
leaving it into the hands of Satan. And immediately, once God's Spirit abandoned the congregations and Satan's evil spirit entered in, well, then the witness of the Bible and all the churches and congregations of the world was dead. And there was no life to it. There was no power to save any longer. And, and, and so this began the 23 year great tribulation period. And, and, uh, the enemies of God were rejoicing. And, uh, we could understand this to mean the unsaved in the congregations rejoiced at the process of truth perishing in the churches. Yes, God's Spirit left, but the uh, remnants of the work of God's Spirit in the congregations took a while to remove. And so slowly over those 23 years, and then more and more rapidly, the, um, the effects of the true teaching of the Bible were, were uh, leaving the churches and congregations of the world and they were becoming increasingly more apostate. And as this happened, the elect were being driven out from the churches until finally God opened up the scriptures to reveal the church age was over and commanded his people for their own benefit and their own good to come out, to depart out of the midst of the church, to flee to the mountains, that is, to the word of God, that now, uh, by that time, um, the two witnesses has stood upon their feet, uh, which is language indicating that, that God had another program of evangelizing the world outside of the church, the latter reign. And, and that was the two witnesses standing on their feet. It, the two witnesses have uh, really everything to do with the the power with the effect of the word of God, the Bible, and not the people of God. The people of God, uh, some of them remained in the churches after the two witnesses stood on their feet. So it wasn't a reference to them personally. It was a reference to what God was doing, accomplishing with his word that he once again began to send forth outside of the the dead church. Well, let let's uh, turn to Revelation 11, because what we're reading concerning Babylon being glad and rejoicing, and Esau rejoicing at the calamity of his brother, is uh, also in view in Revelation 11. And again, I I mention the two witnesses were were killed in verse seven, and when they shall have finished their testimony. The beast that ascendeth out of the bottomless pit shall make war against them, and shall overcome them, and kill them. And their dead bodies shall lie in the street of the great city. Now just imagine all the Bibles that were in the churches all over the world, and yet without effect. The Bibles could be open, and the preachers could preach, and they could read... um, Scripture for hours, and the preacher might even preach uh, truth from the Bible, and no response spiritually, because there was a famine of hearing, uh, of hearing the word of God. It's the Holy Spirit 
them must open up the spiritual ears of the listeners and in order to bring about salvation. And that was not happening anywhere in the church world. 100% of the churches everywhere, whatever qualified as a church, God had left it. And, and so that is the two witnesses, Moses and Elijah, once again, that, um, that were dead for those 2300 evening mornings for the, the first part of the great tribulation, uh, which was a, a terrible time. But then the two witnesses stood on their feet, never again in the church, but outside the church. Well, it says in verse 8, And their dead bodies shall lie in the street of the great city, which spiritually is called Sodom in Egypt, where also our Lord was crucified. And they of the people and kindreds and tongues and nations shall see their dead bodies three days and a half. And this three and a half day period represents the 2300 evening mornings. And shall not suffer their dead bodies to be put in graves. And they that dwell upon the earth shall rejoice over them and make merry and shall send gifts one to another because these two prophets tormented them that dwelt on the earth. That's why um, Esau was glad at Jacob's calamity. That's why Babylon was glad at Judah's uh, destruction because the witness of the word of God uh, uh, within the church, the witness even of the word of God in Judah, was a form of torment. And and so um, the enemies of the gospel, the enemies of God and his people, they rejoice when it appears that, that the Bible which has tormented them is losing or has been defeated or has been destroyed just think of um the worldwide witness of may 21 2011 judgment day oh what a what a means of torment that was to the people of the world it really it, it was um an unpleasant time uh, very uncomfortable for the unsaved people of the world who normally, and and they could have spent their whole lives doing this, normally they have been able to avoid, to ignore, to dismiss the the Bible and the Bible's declarations, the Bible's pronouncements, and especially if the Bible... Uh, we're saying something about um, sin and judgment and the wrath of God. Mankind has been expert at avoiding this kind of information. During the church age, they simply would not go to church, and and they uh, they would avoid those uh, religious people who wanted to talk about the Bible. Same thing. Um, after the church age and in the time of the latter rain period when God was saving a great multitude of anyone who wanted to avoid it they just turned their head they they didn't take the track they walked away from it and it wasn't uh, so prevalent that uh, 
that it would be a constant annoyance to them. This just came up every now and then, and of course they might have that that crazy relative or crazy neighbor who uh, who um, when when they came in contact with uh, often wanted to speak of Christ and the Bible and and the things of God and and they just managed to deal with him and and let it be known that they had no interest and and did not want to discuss those kinds of things. But then came May 21, and when it got closer and closer, they they found that they could not get away. Uh, it wasn't just the relative. It wasn't just the neighbor down the street. But now when they went out, there was the person with tracks. And not only just that one day or or. You, where you see him once every uh, several months, but every time it seems you went somewhere, there he or she was. And not only that, but now they were wearing these loud shirts, these very offensive shirts that that proclaimed a day of judgment, and 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 this um, reminded the reader of the Bible's message and. And not only that, but then it multiplied to them carrying signs. So perhaps uh, before you could avoid the hand that was extended with a track, and perhaps you could avert your eyes from the T-shirt, but now there was a sign lifted up that was very hard to turn away from, but... Uh, all right, we we managed to get by that individual, and then uh, the next day there's another person, and not only on that one particular street corner, but it seems wherever you go, you see these people. They're downtown. They're in, in the suburbs. They're um, they're all over the place. Even down the shore in the boardwalk is no place sacred. And, oh, I remember when handing out tracts on a boardwalk, people felt that as sort of a sacred place. This is a place of refuge for me, a place I come to get away from it all. And and by that they mean away from from you and that message of the Bible. But, of course, the true believer has a more, much more sacred, a truly sacred calling, at that time, we we were called upon to warn the people, to sound the message of the Bible, and and so we realized people didn't like this. But for the sake of warning all, and for the elect's sake, who are amongst them, we uh, we went forth, and and yes, we did share information with people we realized didn't want to hear it. And, and so they, uh, they were finding wherever they went that there was no escape. They, they were unable or, or less and less able to avoid the Bible's message of judgment that perhaps they had gone their whole lifetime avoiding. And, and it just kept getting worse. It kept getting worse. They, they, uh, it went from tracks to t-shirts to signs to billboards. Uh, uh, imagine that, the audacity, the, 
uh, boldness of putting such a message on billboards, this was extremely offensive to many people. And not only billboards, but on buses and and whole um, vehicles were being wrapped. And, and then a caravan came around. A caravan with uh, just, uh, you, you couldn't miss it. There was these five big RVs traveling together in groups. And here you're walking down the street, maybe Center City, Philadelphia, and and uh, coming down Market Street it, it, in broad daylight is this caravan, each one wrapped with a message declaring May 21, 2011, Judgment Day. The Bible guarantees it. What uh, what an awful thing it that must have been to some people to keep seeing it and seeing it. And it was like a torment to them. And so no wonder, no wonder when May 21, 2011 finally came. And of course, God did something that none of us um, knew beforehand. We didn't. We didn't know God was going to do this, or we would have shared that at that time. But God had a plan to uh, try his people who had broadcast this message and carried this message into the world, and to also do what he had said and judge the world. But how could he do both? by bringing about a spiritual judgment, a very real judgment. Just if you doubt that a spiritual judgment is a real judgment, then you don't believe that God is judging the church because God brought a spiritual judgment on the churches and congregations, and that was a real, genuine judgment. And so there, it, it, it is not... Uh, some sort of lesser judgment, maybe in our eyes and our understanding, but a spiritual judgment is a genuine form of judgment. And God did that. We were not prepared for it. We had no advance information of it. We uh, just did not know. And so the appearance was because the true believers at that time had no answers. We didn't know what the Lord was doing. And the appearance was that it was a failure, that nothing happened, and that it was not true. Well, now this brought about um, great rejoicing by the people of the world. There were parties, they... They were celebrating, and we can see that they were glad. They were glad. Well, this didn't this mean that those that carry that message were um, being reviled and mocked, and even the word of God was being disdained? Oh, so many uh, atheists and others were saying, "We told you, you can't trust that book, the Bible," and and it was uh, a tremendous time of rejoicing at the calamity I know it, it the true believers were were glad also that the day of destruction did not come upon 
the world because we have families in the world in one sense, but we were hoping that God might complete his salvation program. He might complete all things and fulfill his promises. That's always the true believer's hope. And since that did not happen, it was a terrible thing for the children of God. We were greatly disappointed, and the enemies of God were glad at this disappointment. They rejoiced. And and so we, we can see that God uh, does not overlook this attitude that the unsaved have towards his word, his people, and uh, especially as they are faithful to the task that God has assigned them. Well, in Jeremiah fifty eleven, because ye were glad, because ye rejoiced, O ye destroyers of mine heritage. Now we read in uh, concerning the heritage of God, and and uh, that would be it's the same word as inheritance. And it's referring to um, Abraham and his descendants. Remember, we uh, were granted eternal life, and uh, the heritage is a new heaven and a new earth, uh, just as God um, gave to Abraham and his seed the land of Canaan for an everlasting inheritance. And and, and that points to the, the kingdom of heaven uh, in the new heaven and new earth. Well, in Isaiah 47, Isaiah chapter 47, it says in verse 1, Come down and sit in the dust, O virgin daughter of Babylon. Sit on the ground, there is no throne, O daughter of the Chaldeans, for thou shalt no more be called tender and delicate. And then a little further down in verse 5, Sit thou silent and get thee into darkness, O daughter of the Chaldeans. For thou shalt no more be called the Lady of Kingdoms. I was wroth with my people. I have polluted mine inheritance and given them into thine hand. Thou didst show them no mercy. Upon the ancient hast thou very heavily laid thy yoke. And thou sayest, I shall be a lady forever. So that thou didst not lay these things to thy heart, neither didst remember the latter end of it. Therefore hear now this, thou that are given to pleasures that dwellest carelessly, that sayest in thine heart, I am, and none else beside me. I shall not sit as a widow, neither shall I know the loss of children. But these two things shall come to thee in a moment, in one day, the loss of children and widowhood. They shall come upon thee in their perfection for the multitude of thy sorceries and for the great abundance of thine enchantments. Here we find that God has given his inheritance into the hand of Babylon, and Babylon did show no mercy, and then God judges Babylon. That uh, is um, the the constant theme of Jeremiah 50 and 51. God is judging Babylon because they destroyed his people. For instance, in Jeremiah 51, it says um, in verse 11, Make bright the arrows, gather the shields. Jehovah has raised up the spirit of the kings of the Medes, for his device is against Babylon to destroy it, because it is the vengeance of Jehovah. 
the vengeance of his temple. And you, you see, this helps us also to understand who exactly Babylon is representing here. Babylon is the destroyer of God's heritage. They have destroyed the temple of God. Therefore, God will destroy them. And yet, in order for God's heritage to be destroyed, and let's look at this as the church, in order for the churches to be destroyed for that temple, the the corporate temple to be destroyed, and then for God to take vengeance upon the ones that have destroyed the church, well, then it means that it has to come at the end of the period that Babylon or Satan and his kingdom were destroying. In other words, God is not going to um, speak of destroying Babylon because Babylon destroyed his people at the beginning of the Great Tribulation or in the midst of the Great Tribulation, but it will come at the end of the Great Tribulation. Then they have completed the job God gave for them to do. Then God looks upon their handiwork. He sees how they have rejoiced over it. And he, the Lord in turn, now brings judgment on them. And and the, it only fits the idea that Babylon is being judged at the end of the Great Tribulation, which is exactly what the historical type um points to it was at the end of the 70 year period that Babylon was destroyed and that 70 year period typifies the great tribulation so we must get that uh clear and and have it um straight in our minds and and it helps a great deal to understand that the destruction of Babylon in Jeremiah 50 and 51 and in Revelation 18 is uh, is happening at the end of the Great Tribulation. At the end of the Great Tribulation is Judgment Day. The Great Tribulation began on May 21, 1988, the day before Pentecost, and uh, the, the church age ended, and it concluded 23 years exactly later, on May 21, 2011, and immediately after the tribulation of those days, the sun is darkened, and so forth. It's Judgment Day, and and God is um, going into action, and and now uh, He is taking care of Babylon. O ye destroyers of mine heritage, and because they the the this whole. Uh, rejoicing was as though they grew fat as the heifer at grass and bellow as bulls. Well, let's go on to verse 12 in Jeremiah 50. Your mother shall be sore confounded. She that bear you shall be ashamed. Behold, the hindermost of the nations shall be a wilderness, a dry land, and a desert. Now we find in the, the first part of verse 12 that uh, God is speaking of your mother, and she that bear you, your mother shall be sore confounded, and she that bear you shall be ashamed. And again, that's another example of Hebrew parallelism. Your mother and she that bear you are synonymous. And 
being confounded and ashamed are very similar, even though uh, they're two different Hebrew words. Confounded is Strong's number 954, and ashamed is 2659. Yet they're found together often, and the word confounded is sometimes translated as ashamed, and and so it it's also sort of a synonymous statement. We find these two words together, for instance, in Psalm 71, in verse 24. My tongue also shall talk of thy righteousness all the day long, for they are confounded, that's 954, for they are brought unto shame, that's 2659, that seek my hurt. You see, they again, the enemies of God that sought the injury of God's people, of that which identifies with the kingdom of heaven, well, they will be confounded and ashamed. It's also found in Psalm 35. Then remember, we looked at the uh, verse, oh, that Psalm earlier, verse 19, um, that spoke of enemies wrongfully rejoicing, and it's a messianic psalm. So it pointed to the enemies rejoicing wrongfully over the Lord Jesus. Now in verse 24, it says, Judge me, O Jehovah my God, according to thy righteousness, and let them not rejoice over me. Let them not say in their hearts, Ah, so we would have it. Let them not say, We have swallowed him up. Let them be ashamed and brought to confusion, together that rejoice at mine hurt. Let them be clothed with shame and dishonor that magnify themselves against me. So we see how the the same ideas where the enemies are rejoicing but not doing so um, rightly. You know, there there is no um, rightness about it or correctness about rejoicing over calamity. God establishes a law that... We ought not to be glad at calamity. And that goes for any kind of calamity. Who, who would be glad at, at an earthquake or, um, a hurricane or when people are experiencing, um, just the loss of property and, and many people die? Oh, that we realize how terrible it is to be glad at that kind of calamity. But, you see, when it comes to spiritual calamity, and spiritual does not mean it's it's not um, real. It doesn't mean that it doesn't exist. It it definitely exists. Just look at the condition of the churches and congregations of the world. We we certainly will quickly realize they have suffered calamity. Oh, it it is a, a horrible thing that has come upon them, and. And yet to be glad at that when it means that truth has perished from the midst of the congregations. And once we understand that without truth there is no salvation, and without salvation people are in their sins and and will be finally destroyed forevermore if they they never experience the grace of God and are and are saved. And and so it's not a light thing. It's not something to be glad at at all. It's the most horrible thing imaginable that God uh, judged the churches of the world and 
and left all of those people within the congregations and of course he he warned them and told them to come out but but multitudes remain and it it's just a very grievous thing for the enemies of the kingdom of god to be glad at truth perishing it uh, it's not a good thing at all it is a horrible thing and and so god uh lays down these principles and he uh he lays them down uh, in several places in the Bible that beware, beware if you have rejoiced, uh, if you have thought it a good thing, for instance, and, and maybe this example will resonate and, and you'll realize exactly what God has in mind. There are many that have thought it a good thing that family radio was disappointed, that family radio, the witness of family radio uh, was found uh, in error, they believe, and and uh, concerning the declaration of May 21, 2011, they have rejoiced at at uh, the mishap they think of Family Radio because Family Radio was used of God for decades to broadcast the true gospel into the world, and and so many were happy. That they were wrong, and 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 watch out. Remember what God says in Micah, chapter seven, in verse eight: Rejoice not against me, O mine enemy. When I fall, I shall arise. When I sit in darkness, Jehovah shall be a light unto me. I will bear the indignation of Jehovah because I have sinned against him until he plead my cause and execute judgment for me. He will bring me forth to the light, and I shall behold his righteousness. Then she that is mine enemy shall see it, and shame shall cover her which said unto me, Where is Jehovah thy God? Mine eyes shall behold her. Now shall she be trodden down as the mire of the streets. So here again God it says, Rejoice not against me, O mine enemy. When I fall, I shall arise. And now at this time, yes, uh, many have rejoiced at the perceived calamity that has come upon God's people. But God's people will arise. They will arise, and, and actually it has already begun to happen as we have gained understanding and we are commanded to prophesy again concerning the truths we have learned to publish these things and conceal them not and that in in one way is a sort of um, a revival of a witness to the world but uh, of course at the very end of the day of judgment when the Lord does lift up his people when uh, the completion of judgment uh, has come and the exaltation of all the people of God has taken place, well then obviously it, it becomes clear that those enemies of the kingdom of heaven were wrong. They should not have rejoiced against the Lord and his people. Well, we're going to stop here for now and we'll pick up this Bible study next time in Jeremiah 50 and we'll try to understand 
who the mother is that's being referred to here, and what God means by the last half of Jeremiah 50, verse 12. Behold, the hindermost of the nations shall be a wilderness, a dry land, and a desert. Let me just say that the Hebrew word translated as hindermost, which is, I think, Strong's number 319, is only translated as hindermost here. It is most often translated as end. It it is a verse, for instance, in Psalm 37, verse 38, that speaks of the end of the wicked. They shall be cut off. And so if you substitute the word end, uh, and then read that phrase, Behold, the end of the nations shall be a wilderness, a dry land, and a desert. Well, it really gives a different understanding to what God is saying there. Thanks for joining us for eBible Fellowship Sunday Bible Study. For more information or to hear additional Bible studies, be sure to visit our website at www.ebiblefellowship.com.